I don't know what I'd do if Jesus wasn't alive. I'm glad I don't have to know. But the joy of his fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings, and of the Holy Spirit, and of God's people. I'm so thankful. So thankful to the Lord that he is alive. And for that and in that, I can enjoy all of you and your precious pastor. It is my privilege, and I mean this sincerely. It is my privilege and my joy to be here this morning. And I thank you so much for letting me just come and uh, be myself yet again, uh, as you always have. And uh, I'm glad to be here um, with you uh, this morning. Let's, uh, let's get to the preaching. <laughs> After all that, I feel like preaching. <laughs> Hebrews chapter number 2. It's been a joy to be a part of that great um, presentation that uh, Brother Greg and Michelle and so many others put together. That's always going to be a wonderful memory of mine. Uh, and then to be again with you, and then for this, this morning, I'm, I'm overwhelmed uh, with the goodness of the Lord to just let me be around some of my people and um, fellowship uh, this morning. But I do want to uh, try and share a few words with you that I pray will be an encouragement. They certainly have been encouraging to me. In Hebrews chapter number 2, we'll begin our reading in verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Brother Lynn McCord, would you pray for me as I try to preach this morning?
Amen. Thank you, brother. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach on the thought, He is worthy of the crown. Very recently, an event took place in world history of which many have not seen before and many perhaps will not see again, and that is that Queen Elizabeth II, who had reigned as monarch of Great Britain for over 71 years, passed away. And for a time, the throne was empty. And of course, as, uh, as is the case with many uh, passages from monarch to monarch, from throne to throne, there's always speculation, there's always conversation and debate concerning the one that would come. The heir had already been chosen and already been selected, but as, uh, as is the case, media began to speak and talk. Many questions were asked about his children and about his heritage, and others even made the statement that perhaps... There was no, no longer even a need for a throne in England. And uh, so debate raged and uh, has been the case before and no doubt will be again. Who is this one that's going to sit on this great throne? Reminds me much of Revelation chapter number 5. You know that scene just as well as I do. As we enter into the, to, uh, as, uh, what John foresaw, as John prophesied, standing in the heavenlies. And as he stood there, there was a scroll, there was a book that was raised, and the one that held it, this title deed for all creation, the ownership of all creation stood and said, who is worthy to take this book and to open? Who's worthy out amongst all the uh, heavenly host, uh, as well as all throughout human history? Who's worthy? Many have tried, many have uh, vied for that uh, uh, ownership, for that authority. Dictators, kings, presidents, potentates, many have said they were worthy, but they've been found to be insufficient. And so the, the question is raised, who's worthy? And so great was the heaviness of the moment that John, the Apostle John, began to weep because no one could step forward to claim ownership uh, and to take the book. But in that very moment, as uh, despair and despondency seems to creep over all, at that very moment, he stepped forward. The Lion King of Judah, the Root of David, who appeared as a lamb that had been slain, he was there, uh, and without any effort and without any argument, uh, he took the scroll. He took the book and was able to open the seven seals and claim his position as the rightful king and ruler of all. What is the response of the assembly of heaven as he opens the book and takes his throne? What is the reaction to all those who are gathered there who had just in one moment been so depressed and now is seeing their king standing before them? Well, there's only one reaction to the king when he comes into our presence or we come into his, and it's a symphony of praise. Heaven opens up with an orchestral of glory. And they say, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Abraham Kipper said when Jesus looks at the universe from His exalted throne at the right hand of the Father and He sees the great galaxies whirling in space, the planets and the people upon this planet and all the minute details of life here including the 
detail of our lives. Uh, There is nothing that Jesus sees anywhere of which he cannot say mine. Could I say this morning that the Lamb is still worthy? He was worthy then. He'll be worthy now. And he'll be worthy when we come uh, to that final day. So the inspired author of the book of Hebrews, writing in Hebrews chapter number 2, he begins the chapter with a word of warning, a word of exhortation, a word of caution. And he says uh, that we ought to be careful not to let these truths uh, slip away. We ought to be careful not to be distracted or to drift away from the truth uh, of who Jesus is. The question could be asked this morning, what can we do to fight the temptation To get distracted. It's so easy, is it not, uh, for this world and all the goings on, the troubles and the strife, uh, uh, if not of the globe and of the world of this country, uh, of our area and even of our own home. It's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy for us to hear the truth uh, and to believe the truth, but not to live the truth. So what's the remedy for this? Uh, What's the antidote for this apathy? Well, Paul, well, that's who I believe wrote Hebrews, uh, so I slipped there. But the the author says uh, uh, that it is that Jesus must be kept at the forefront of our hearts. uh, That we must always bear in mind that our Lord, it was a suffering Lord. That He died in our place. uh, That He took upon Himself, as Philippians said, the form of a servant. That He bore the likeness of men. That he took flesh and blood. Never forget this. Never forget that in the midst of all that he has done in his crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection, don't ever forget that he was born a man. That God's Son condescended and became a man and took upon himself the form of a servant and suffered the death of a cross as a man. But as God, there's a grander work going on. So I would say this morning, church, if you don't want to get discouraged, if you don't want to become distracted, keep King Jesus at the forefront of your heart and mind. Live every day as if He's victorious, because He is. Keep your head up for your redemption draweth nigh. He's not in the ground. He's not on the cross. He's not defeated. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, now it's time for you to go and do what I couldn't. He said, I'll do what you can't. And he's still doing it now. He's the king. And he's worthy of the crown that he wears. Our Lord Jesus Christ has risen. The tempter is foiled. His legions are scattered. His strongholds are spoiled. Oh, sing hallelujah. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our great foe is baffled. Christ Jesus is king. Now, there are three accolades of this king that I believe the text lay before us. And may God help our hearts to see him afresh and anew as our sovereign as our ruler, as our gracious Savior. I would say something first of all about the king. As a simple commoner, Christ is worthy this morning because of his willing condescension into the likeness of man, his becoming a man, and his identifying with us. But we see Jesus 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure or to comfort, encourage them that are tempted. We must not forget that this king who has the rightful authority over all, in that he has created all. Romans 11 gives us that wonderful doxology that our king stands in a position where all was made for him and by him and through him and likewise all that was made should glorify him. He is king as well because not only of his creative work, but of his recreative work in that by becoming a man, this is integral, this is crucial to the gospel, that Jesus stepped out of that lofty height that the heavens, hallelujah, took upon himself the form of a servant. We see that wonderfully illustrated, do we not, at the Last Supper as he takes off his outer garments and is left in the, in the rags of a servant. And as he bows himself, do you understand that the Lord Jesus, the brightness of God's image, the sunlight of heaven, he bowed himself. He humbled himself in such a way to identify with the likes of you and I. He is no Buddha, some grand, grandiose religious figure who is dead, whose golden image can do you no good. He is no Muhammad, some false prophet with seething, vicious, uh, distorted thoughts and ideas. He is uh, no magician. He is, uh, he's not just a martyr. As C.S. Lewis said, he's, uh, he's either Lord or a lunatic uh, for the claims that he made. But he is Lord and he is Lord of all. And this Lord, the king of glory took upon himself the form of a servant and became as the likeness of men we are not only saved this morning because of what Jesus did at the cross we are saved this morning because of all that Jesus did in leaving heaven and entering the flesh in the manger and living that obedient life we are saved by the active obedience And the sacrificial redemption. And the glorious resurrection. We thank God for the cross. Had there been no manger, there would have been no cross. And had there been no cross, there would have been no manger. But had there been no cross or manger, there would have been no empty tomb. So in all this, we are able to say, He understands me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. 
Spurgeon said, infinite and yet infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman. Supporting a universe and yet carried in his mother's arms. Heir of all things and yet a carpenter's despised son. We see in this his honor. He was not created. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus was not. He is a part of the Trinity, but he is God. He retains his deity. He is God robing himself in flesh. 100% God, 100% man, the great unlike. Don't forget that. We see his humility. He willingly submits himself. There was no search made in heaven, no arm twisting, no compromises, no debates. Willingly, he's made a little lower than the angels. He partakes of all the limitations and temptations of the flesh. Came as the seed of Abraham, that fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. But in this we see his hardship. He also endures suffering on behalf of his brethren. It's not as if he was able by some divine mysterious means not to feel the pains of hunger and, uh, and the uh, depth of thirst or even to feel the lash uh, or to feel the nails or to feel the crown in his humanity, in his, uh, his uh, becoming a man. He endures all. <laughs> but as God, he is able to see past these moments to endure for the joy of pleasing his father and accomplishing redemption. Robert Hawker writes, Mark my soul, the very sweet and peculiar manner in which God the Holy Ghost here speaks of Jesus. He was made a little lower than the angels. A body such as ours was given him. It behooved him to be in all things like unto his brethren. I charge it upon thee, my soul, that in all thy views of Jesus as a risen exalted Savior, thou forever connect it and never lose sight of it, that it is Jesus in his human nature that is so exalted, so honored, so glorified. He became mediator. He stands forth the servant of Jehovah. He redeems his church and his people for the suffering of death is crowned with glory and honor. How blessed the view. And if it be the same Lord Jesus whose head is now crowned with glory that was once crowned with thorns, what a hump with humble confidence may a poor sinner look up and tell him of the glories of his cross now shining with tenfold luster in the glories of his crown. King is worthy because he came as a simple commoner. But there's more. The king is worthy because he is a sovereign conqueror. Christ is worthy this morning, church, because of his absolute and total victory, unquestionable defeat of all his enemies. And such was his uh, decisive triumph that he was able to take the weapons turned towards him and use them for the victory over those who opposed him. (laughs) 
Oh, there was a time, dear friend, as Augustine used the analogy, there was a time in which sin rode us as wild stallions, its hand on the bridle, its hand on the rein. And when he said, when sin and Satan said, giddy up, we went. And when he said, whoa, we stopped. But there came a day in which the Lord Jesus, that master, a conqueror, that king, took upon himself our reins. And he was able to redeem us. And he was able to conquer us and so such that now he is in perfect control now understand with me that these verses have their greatest impact when we know that we have been identified with Adam the first man who was created in purity made to rule and to have authority over creation but due to his sin in the garden All humanity is plunged into darkness. We are all under the condemnation of death. And we are without hope of ever having righteousness of our own. Though we have not done what Adam did. We are guilty by association. Those who didn't sin like Adam must still die as a result of what came unfurled and unraveled in the garden. His fall brought us into guilt, but our own sin holds us guilty as well. The principle and the desire and the proclivity to sin came as a result of what took place there. Like a baby carries the human characteristics of their parents. We are all born with a depraved nature. Adam's sin brought corruption and depravity. His sin and our sin salts us as the salt uh, has covered the sea. But what Adam did uh, was not the end. Though it's all been imputed upon us. The second Adam, I'm getting away from myself, but I will anyhow. The second Adam has come so much greater, so much better than what was imputed on us for unrighteousness. He took upon himself our sin. And in what he did in his uh, obedience and in his vicarious death, and in his resurrection he is able to give to us who are unrighteous his righteousness so that we stand before God in Christ perfect and holy the only way we're getting into heaven is if we've got a clean slate as if we've uh, never seen perfect and righteous and holy and pure and that's uh, bad news but what Jesus did on behalf of his people means that because we're in him and he is in us we have no fear of death one with himself I cannot die that in the presence of God I am perfect that in the presence of God I I am righteous so that I might be joint heirs with Jesus. Hallelujah to God for what Christ has done for us. Death came as a result of sin. Death is not natural. It is not part of God's order. Death is an invader. It is an enemy. We die every day. Some in part, some all together. But as Jesus became man, he suffered and died on the cross. He bore condemnation for sins he did not commit. But as God, he endured the sacrifice. 
And when taking our unrighteousness, he gave us his perfection. He paid our debt and he won victory. Where Adam could not ever be any hope for us, Jesus now has opened the door so that we might have hope in him. He so took upon his flesh and blood, Spurgeon said, as to die in our nature, that thus he might slay death and might set us free from all fear of death. Do you not see that if the representative man, Jesus, died, he also rose again, and so also will all who are in him rise too. You and I both know this morning that the fabric of our Bible and of our gospel is threaded with the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It is the very cornerstone of all that we are. It was the declaration of David in Psalm 16 that God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. Job looked through the telescope of his suffering to see his Redeemer alive and standing in victory. Isaiah saw the exaltation of the Messiah after his suffering death in Isaiah 52 and 53. Daniel in Daniel 12 told of the Son of Man who would die and yet rise again. Even the experience of Jonah three days and three nights in the ship uh, in the uh, fish's belly is the foreshadowing of this event. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He said, I have the power to lay my life down and to take it up again. Paul said that Jesus is proven to be the Son of God because he uh, was raised from the dead. He calls him the Lord of the, of the quick and the dead. And First and Second Thessalonians holds forth the hope uh, that his resurrection is the confirmation that though we go to the ground and to the grave, uh, we'll be raised again. And John saw him in Revelation as one who had been dead but is alive and who will be alive forevermore. He's the king over death. There's a lot of excitement surrounding the scene of the resurrection, isn't there? You come to this in the Word of God and you find the earth gets excited. Stones rolled away. So it should get excited. He made it. It's his world. What, what, what manner of man is this that the wind and seas obey him? Wind and seas have better sense than we do sometimes. They hear Jesus speaking and they go, Oh, he's the one made us. We better listen. Who rolled the stone away? People have debated, argued. Who cares? It rolled itself away for all we know because the king of the earth has stepped forward in life. The earth's excited. The Pharisees and the Roman government and the Roman guard are excited. Now they're not happy, but they are excited. The disciples get excited. The 500 plus witnesses that verified his resurrection, they get excited. Paul is on his way to kill Jews or Christian Jews with Jewish papers in his pocket. He gets excited. (laughs) How many more? How many here got excited when through the veil of death and our sin came clear to us and we became so overwhelmed to conviction that the Holy Spirit said, He's alive. And he's Lord. And he'll save you. I think we ought to still be excited. Just a thought. He's conquered. And he goes forth conquering. He conquered expiration. He conquered death. I like alliteration, so stay with me. He conquered expiration. Now is Christ risen from the dead. Why seek ye the living among the dead? That's a, that's a pretty understandable question. 
If he's alive, he's not going to be in a tomb. <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> he told you so. He's risen. Paul said, if Christ were not risen, we would have been all men most miserable. This service would be of no value. Our worship would be empty. Our preaching would be vain. The bacon and the sausage would not taste good. Our souls would be a dry and filthy heap. Darkness behind, destruction ahead. What's the use? <laughs> but now, <laughs> but now, <laughs> Christ is risen from the dead. He conquered his expiration. As I said, he conquered the earth. The earth surrounds him as both a barrier but also as his subject. So much so that the stone is moved, the ground quakes, and Jesus steps forth. But I want to say this, and I'm getting, to, I'm getting, I'm getting close to the end. Christ conquered his enemies. Now, note what Paul says in Hebrews. He says in the latter part of verse 14, that through death, and we said death is the great enemy, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, here's what Colossians 2 says. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. There's no greater shame for a soldier than to be slain with his own weapon. Carries us back to the Valley of Elah, doesn't it? As David, after he overthrows that great giant beast, the enemy of Israel, the representative of David, comes forth, Steps forward and he finishes the job, not with his own blade or the blade of another. He takes Goliath's sword. And he slays Goliath with the weapon Goliath held and caused havoc and fear for the people of God. Death is a giant sword for so many. Hanging over the head with what feels like no more than a spider's web to hold it. People fear death. They spend millions to defy it. They waste their lives to ignore it. They go through all manner of activity to try and discover any way by which they don't have to think about this great enemy always following them, always on their track, surrounding them. And yet Jesus with the very weapon by which his people were held in bondage, the death that Adam had, had, had condemned upon him and now has fallen to us, with the very sword by which we would be defeated, Christ defeats death, he defeats the devil, and he looses the chains of fear. Amen. The brazen serpent has been lifted. What an odd thing. For Moses to lift a brazen serpent. The very in instrument by which so many had died. The serpent. Yet it's this shameful image that becomes their hope if they look and live. 
Sinner, I have no more to tell you this morning than that Jesus is alive. And because of what he did on the battlefield of Calvary, turning all the enemy's artillery towards them and turning the tables for victory, all I can tell you this morning is, look and live! The serpent has been raised. The Lord Jesus was lifted up. Look and live! Fear death no more. Fear hell no more. Fear Satan no more. Fear sin no more. Imagine for a moment... One has said the reaction of hell to the death of Christ. Jesus was bound with the bands of death. What celebration. God was defeated. Vengeance was the devil's. But they reckoned without the wisdom of God. For Christ could not be held down with bands of death. In fact through death he was paralyzing the one who had the power of death. And he was setting his people free. What seemed to be a defeat was an actual victory. The resurrection was hell's gloomiest day. Satan saw the wisdom of God and he tasted defeat. (laughs) Now there's victory at the open tomb and the empty tomb. But this victory took place at Calvary. For that is where the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, promises us. That is where the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent. That is where our victory was secured. The tomb and the resurrection validate the gospel so that we have hope. We've got hope. (laughs) We've got hope. That no matter what happens here... This is but a fleeting moment compared to the eternal life we'll enjoy with God because of what Jesus has done for us. (laughs) Death used to be an executioner, George Herbert writes, but the gospel made him a gardener. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Earth and heaven in chorus say hallelujah. Raise your joy and triumph high. Hallelujah. Sing your heavens and earth reply. Hallelujah. Love's redeeming work is done. Hallelujah. Fought and fight the battle won. Hallelujah. Death in vain forbids him rise. Hallelujah. Christ is hope in paradise. Hallelujah. Lives again our glorious king. Hallelujah. Where O death is now thy sting. Hallelujah. Once he died our souls to save. Hallelujah. Where's thy victory boasting grave? Hallelujah. Give you a final one. I'm done. King is worthy because he came as a simple commoner. Suffered and died. Bearing upon himself the flesh, the burden, the condemnation of sinful man. But he's worthy because he's a sovereign conqueror. But I want to say the king is worthy because he is my soul's commander. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. I'm one of those. I'm one of those sons. I'm one of those brethren he speaks about. To make the captain of their salvation perfect. So he not only won victory, just like David again, See, Israel didn't raise a finger. They were too afraid to defeat Goliath, were they not? Here comes David. And David's victory was not his victory alone. It was Israel's victory. And the victory that Christ secured for us is not his victory alone. It becomes our victory. I have much to say, but let me say this. As our Savior, he will pilot us. He'll lead us. 
He's got our backs. In fact, he's got our fronts and sides and tops and bottoms too. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. He pilots us. No need to fear. We're walking steps and valleys and pathways he's already trod. He will preserve us. What Jesus started, he will finish. In bringing many sons to glory. When, he, when, we, when we get to heaven, it will be all that God had planned and the Son had purchased and the Spirit had filled and sealed. But li- now listen now, he partners with us. What I mean by that is not that we help him in any way, shape, or form. We can't. But what I mean by that is he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Now, there's a lot there. I can't got time. Y'all won't let me. Y'all throw me out of here if I keep going. Too much, too much. But let me say this. I'm thankful for this. He pities us. Because of the life he lived as a man. And because of his sincerity and his holiness as God. And all the rest we could say. When you come to the great high priest. There is not one problem. One burden. One trouble. By which he will not care. And will not sit with you in the midst of your ashes. And love you through the pain. He's a sympathetic savior isn't he? 1799 Napoleon's forces were approaching a small town in Austria. It was Easter day. And so the town council had convened for an emergency session to discuss what was to be done. Napoleon's great French army was on the way. The rector of the local church said gentlemen it is Easter. We have been reckoning in our own strength. And we have failed. Let us turn to the Lord. He says to, his, uh, to the men of the church, he said, Ring the bells and rally the people as usual. And let God take care of the rest. So as the armies are advancing, the people gather in church. And the bells were rung just as loudly and clearly as any other Sunday. It is said that the French commander heard the bells and said to his lieutenants, they have rallied the Austrian forces. (laughs) We must retreat. The bells ring. And there is victory for us. The bells ring, whether you hear them or not. Jesus is victorious. This is all true. We are standing on a foundation of fact, not fiction. We have a firm foundation for God incarnate lived his life and he died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb and the third day he rose again. He is king over all. And our response ought to be somebody, ring the bell. (laughs) Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave. And rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing who died and rose on high. Who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. Crown him king. (laughs) Hallelujah. 